And I just want to invite uh, my sister Linda uh, to come up to give us our scripture reading this morning. Good morning, Bridge Church. And today's scripture is about Isaiah chapter 58, verse 1 to 12. Cried aloud, do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their transgression, to the house of the Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways, as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. Why have we fasted, and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves, and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek uh, your own pleasure, and oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight, and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be hard to be heard on high. Is such the fast that I chose a day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast? And a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I choose? To lose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see? the naked, to cover him, and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? Then shall your light break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rare guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry. And he will say, Here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst and pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness, if you, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually, and satisfy your desire in scorched places, and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water, whose water do not fail, and your ancient ruins, ruins shall be rebuilt, and sh you shall raise up the foundation of many generations, and you shall be called the repairer of the breath, the restorer of streets to dwell in. 
This is the scripture of the Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Linda. So you'll notice we're taking a break from Ephesians today, and that's because we have a guest preacher today. Uh, We're going to have Jeremy Tam share with us. Jeremy is one of my closest friends. We were roommates for three and a half years and worked together for seven years at my old church, and I'm excited to have him here today to share with us. Let's pray for him before he starts speaking. Father, we thank you for Jeremy. Thank you for bringing him here today to share your word with us. I pray that you would be speaking to us through him, helping us to know you more deeply and follow you more faithfully because of the words that he says today. Give us ears to hear and hearts to obey. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Eric. Bridge Church, it's so good to be with you. Um, I'm from Watermark, as Eric mentioned, um, and it's you know, Watermark, we love you guys. We love to be able to encourage and bless you guys. Eric came from Watermark, so it's really, we see you guys as an extended part of the community. And uh, as you, some of you may know, Eric was my roommate back in the day, way back in the day. So if you want any uh, juicy secrets, you can ask me later. Um, but for now, let's focus on the word of the Lord. Um, I guess I want to start today with a question. Have you ever tried to, to do something. You had a goal, you were seeking something out, but actually the result turned out to be just so different. Maybe even the polar opposite of what you were hoping to achieve. Um, when I was back in university, uh, quite a while ago, uh, I went through a season of major growth as a Christian. You know, I was, you know, God had gotten a hold of me. You know, he had just shown me like the futility of partying or just laboring for better grades and, and better results. And I was seeking him. I was learning what it meant to actually follow Jesus. I read through the entire Bible for the first time in those college years. I started serving. I started uh, leading in a campus group even. And everything was going great. I started investing in others. I really started caring for people, I thought. But then one thing One day, something happened. A really good friend of mine, uh, she came up to me and started telling me about her struggles uh, in her faith and just her genuine wrestling with with her faith and even maybe uh, whether she really believed in God. And I was listening to her, and and instead of kind of graciously encouraging her and, and being patient, I found myself getting more and more kind of irritated and frustrated, frustrated. I found myself becoming more critical and judgmental. And basically, I ended up thinking, like, what's, what's wrong with you? You know, how are you going to become this Christian leader that, you know, I expect and we expect you to become? What about all the time that we've invested in you? Basically, you know, how could you, quote, unquote, be such a bad Christian? You know, I didn't say these things to her, but in, in my mind and the way I responded, it was increasingly revealing my heart. And obviously, um, you know, things came to a head and, and we reconciled afterwards and we really addressed that. But what I realized from this little episode, it hit me like a ton of bricks afterwards, was that in my pursuit of a God who is humble and loving and gracious, I very ironically had become more um, unloving, ungracious, impatient. You know, I think... I think I thought my growth as a Christian, my, my theology, my, my service, my leadership somehow kind of entitled me to my expectations being met. And maybe that all, all the others should be at my level, whatever that actually meant. But in that, I had completely lost sight of what it means to 
actually follow Jesus? What does God actually want of me? What is God actually like? And this story reflects a bit of my overall journey as a Christian. But I think it can also happen in just the little things of life each day, the things that you do daily as a Christian. You know, all of us have spiritual disciplines or habits that we do, right? Maybe it's simply attending church service. The fact that you got out of bed, you made it to YMCA school this morning, you're sitting in this chair, that's your habit. That's how you uh, show your devotion. That's how you want to grow as a Christian. You know, maybe it's reading Bible every day or daily devotions or your prayer life or the way you serve or the way you give your finances. Those are just some of the common ones that we typically call spiritual disciplines. Now, the point of all these practices isn't just to do them for the sake of doing, right? We want to actually get closer to God. We want to know more about him. We want to respond to his love for us, right? But if we're honest with ourselves, that doesn't always happen. That result isn't always what we intended. You know, it's how sometimes, this might be a little silly example, but we all, I think, can, re- can resonate with this. You, you, you get out of a bed and you, you're getting ready for church service, but for whatever reason, your spouse or your children, they're just slow or tardy, tardy they're not listening to you and you just get annoyed. Or you finally make it out of the door, but you've hit your first major obstacle is like this really slow, agonizingly slow walker in front of you. Or, or the car or the taxi, if you're driving, you just hit traffic or whatnot. And you just get even just a little bit frustrated or annoyed or irritated. But that's kind of strange, right? Because the whole point of this habit of coming to the church service to gather is to respond to a God of love, to love God and to love your neighbor. And yet here we are, we kind of just hit a a roadblock or an obstacle and things just kind of go south. Our passage today that we just heard is, is similar, I think, in many ways. It addresses this act of fasting, as we've read. And now fasting, if you're not familiar, was basically a religious practice a way for the people of God to um, focus on a specific spiritual thing or an area. And in the Old Testament, from where Isaiah obviously was speaking from, uh, people uh, fasted for a number of reasons. Uh, Maybe it was just to humble themselves, to confess of their sins, to repent of something that had gone wrong. Or maybe it was even to mourn uh, the death of a loved one. They would fast. Fasting was also closely tied with a prayer, with seeking God's will, with trying to get to get closer to God. And that's what we see in this passage. Take a look at verse 2 again with me. God says, They seek me daily, and they delight to know my ways. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near God. That's great, right? That's exactly what fasting and all our spiritual disciplines are supposed to lead us to. But something isn't right because right before that in verse 1, a warning trumpet has already been sounded. Verse 1, it says, God says, Declare to my people, Isaiah, declare to my people their transgression, to the house of Jacob their sins. So how could it be that these people who were seeking God's will, seeking God, delighting to be close to him, were actually drawing near to sin and transgression? And that's the question I think we're posed with today. As they're doing these spiritual disciplines, they were reaping sin. So what is the right way 
to do these spiritual disciplines? What is the right way to fast? And our first point today, God clearly tells his people what is the wrong way to do spiritual disciplines. And by telling him them the wrong way, hopefully that brings clarity by contrasting that. And firstly, I think, I think we need to understand that from, from what we can read, there's no indication that there's anything wrong with people's, the people's sort of motives. You know, as we read in verse 2, they genuinely seem to be seeking God. They want to be close to him. They want to know his ways. They want to know his righteous judgments, the scripture says. And the word for uh, judgment in, in Hebrew is actually the same word as justice. They can be translated both ways. And justice in the Bible, it's not just about, you know, law and order, you know, arresting the baddies, putting them in jail. It's not just about crime and punishment. But justice in the Bible is very comprehensive. It's also about giving rights to the people, giving the rights to the people who deserve it. Uh, it's about protecting people who are vulnerable. It's about correcting anything that is not in God's sort of plan and in his desire. That's justice. It's about right relationships. That's justice. So what really people were asked, the, the, God, people, the, God of, um, the people of God were asking is that they were saying, God, we want your justice in our lives. We want right relationships. We want you to, to see your righteous judgments. So they were really asking for the right things. They weren't asking for a nicer house. God, hear my prayer. I want a Ferrari. I want to get into this XYZ college or this job, even though those, those things might be good things. They weren't asking for those things. They were asking for God. But somehow, despite this, God doesn't seem to be responding to them. Verse 3, they're asking, Why have we fasted, God, and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and yet you take no knowledge of it. And God tells them so clearly in the following verses, three to five. He says, behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure. You oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Ironically, as the people were seeking God, and seeking his righteousness and his justice. They're actually doing injustice. They're oppressing people who have less power than them. You know, if you're an employer or a supervisor here this morning, or if, if you have any kind of authority over someone else, I think this is a question for us to reflect on right away. Like, how are you treating your subordinates? Even as you sit in these chairs and seek God this morning, how have you been treating the people beneath you in authority in this season? You know, and, and even if you're not, even if you're not sort of in authority over anyone, what about the, this conviction about how are you still uh, quarreling? Are you still fighting with people even as you're trying to seek God? This is the charge that God brings before his people. And in verse 5, God then asks rhetorically, is such the fast I choose a day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to Lord? And I can, I can feel that sarcasm in God's voice there. Because in other words, he's saying, is fasting just about taking a physical posture of humility? Is it just about coming to church and bowing down and raising hands? Is it just about these external rituals? 
And I think the obvious answer is that it's not. And this leads us to our second point now. So God has shown us how not to do spiritual disciplines, how not to fast. And now he's going to give a picture of what true fasting and spiritual disciplines look like. Let's read verse 6 and 7 with me. God says, this is the fast I choose. People, release the bonds or loose the bonds of wickedness or injustice. He says, let the oppressed go free. Break every yoke. We're not farmers here, but basically, if you don't know, a yoke is a device that you use to, to harness your ox or, or your cow to, to plow the fields or basically to control an animal. Or also a yoke can be used to, to control a, a prisoner, for example. And so here a yoke is a, a metaphor, an image for oppression. We're going to break every device of oppression, God says. Verse 7, true fasting is to care for the hungry, the homeless, and the naked. Verse 10, God, call, God, God calls his people to pour out yourself, pour yourself out for the hungry. And this word yourself actually literally means pour out your soul, pour out your whole being, pour out your life for the hungry, pour yourself out for justice. In a church, I used to think as a Christian, it's about just kind of trying to be nice to people, maybe give some extra money to charity when I have a little extra, and I thought that was good. But the picture we see here is so radically different, is it? God is saying that the spiritual disciplines that actually work, the spiritual disciplines that actually matter, it's actually about reflecting the character of God. It's about reflecting who God is and what he cares about. So why is it then so important to care about these people, the hungry, the homeless, naked, the poor, the vulnerable, the oppressed? And all throughout scripture, we see that God is a God of justice. If you just read yourself, you'll see that. He cares about the vulnerable. But I want to read, I want us to read Psalm 146 because I think it just gives us such a beautiful summary of this God of justice. Follow with me. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, just like we learned about today from God of wonders, the sea and all that is in them, the God who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widows and the fatherless, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. Church, this is our God. And this psalm is, you know, if God had a, a social media profile, I imagine this would be such a perfect bio that he might put on there because this is what he's about. This is his heart. And so if we truly understood who God is, then we'd also understand what he cares about. He cares deeply about the most vulnerable people in society. And that's why it was so hypocritical for these Israelites in Isaiah to be asking God for justice and yet not caring just a least bit about the injustice that they were doing and the injustice that were in their community and their lives. So when we go back to this question of fasting and prayer and spiritual disciplines, why, God, why would God give justice to a people who didn't care about it at all? 
God's not interested in this superficial spirituality, right? This ritualistic external stuff. He wants us, he wants you to actively respond to his love, his love for every single one of you and me in here. And not just his love for you, but his love for the people around you, the people sitting next to you, the people in Tung Chung, the people in Lantau, the people in Hong Kong. That's the right way to do spiritual disciplines. The right way is to love the vulnerable in our society just as a normal part of everything we do. As normal as you pray, as you read the Bible, as you would come to a church service every week. And God isn't saying that fasting and all those things are bad or wrong or irrelevant, but they're saying that true fasting is inseparable from seeking justice. You just cannot do one and not do the other if you want to really be thinking about what God cares about. And so obviously there's maybe some things, some injustices even come to your mind now. Things that you've seen in your workplace or on the streets or you've heard on the news. Um, there are so many things, and I pray as a people, as, as God's people, we'd be opening our eyes to that. But I just want to give you one idea, one suggestion that's kind of in my experience and, and through Watermark we've, we've considered and prayed about is that as an English-speaking church, one thing we can really, I think, are uniquely uh, equipped to do and to think about is to care for the foreign domestic helpers in our city. You know, in Psalm 146 that we read, you may have noticed that it says, God watches over sojourners. Why does he specifically say sojourners um, in this passage about his love for the vulnerable? Now, in Old Testament times, sojourners were basically foreigners who lived and worked in the land of, of the Israelites. And despite living there, they didn't have, because they were foreigners, they didn't have the full rights and the full privileges that Israelites had. They also didn't have those built-in kind of community and family connections that all the local Israelites would have had. So even though they weren't necessarily oppressed in an active way, or they weren't necessarily poor, they were very vulnerable because of their status. They were uniquely vulnerable. And, and so God says in, in the Old Testament and throughout the Bible, the way we treat sojourners is actually a matter of justice and injustice. And reflecting on kind of domestic helpers and migrant labor in Hong Kong, I realized actually it's so similar even to the Old Testament idea of sojourners. Helpers come here with a unique legal status, a completely different visa, they can never become permanent residents like other migrants who come here. They have their own rules on where they can live and how much they can earn as a minimum wage. And let's be honest, beyond the laws and stuff, just socially, they're often treated as different. You know, we off, they're often looked down upon in society, unfortunately. And so this is a system, despite all of its benefits, it's a system that is just ripe for abuse and oppression. We've seen it in the news. We've heard stories. And those are probably just the most extreme examples, right? So when I think about that and I think about this call to justice, I think the question that God poses to us is, you know, how is, are we as a church, whether it's Watermark or the bridge, how are we radically different in how we love and honor domestic helpers in our city? And I don't think it's just about not abusing them. You know, that's just such a low standard. It's about actually loving blessing, celebrating them for all that they are and the value that they bring to our society because they receive so little honor from society at large. 
And if you're a helper here today, I guess, first of all, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for enriching our community. I love the helpers in Watermark because they bring such a valuable perspective. And I love hearing from them. I love hearing what God's teaching them. It's amazing. So if you're a helper here today, though, like, would you feel just, in, welcome, just ready to bring your friends to the bridge? Would you bring them here because this is a place that is just so welcoming and they can feel right at home? If the answer is yes, that's amazing. Let's do that together. Let's be a church that welcomes. And, but maybe if you have some questions, maybe, maybe not, and you're wondering, actually, is this a safe place? Is this a welcoming place? Maybe this is something that, as churches, we need to wrestle through. Like, do we find that the prejudices and the divisions beyond the church actually reflected in the church itself? And if so, what does God say about that? Beyond that, may we just be vulnerable to seeing, hey, God, what are you showing me within the bridge and my workplace? What are you seeing me? Where do I see injustice? Now, the amazing thing about this passage today is that God doesn't just say, hey, you know, Eric, you got to do justice just because I told you to. Or bang, you just got to do justice because I created you. I own you. You have to do whatever you want. Even though God has every right to just command us to do it, that's not what he does. These closing verses reveal the incredible blessings that come from true fasting and true justice. And this is our third point. Spiritual disciplines lead to amazing blessing. Read with me in verse 8 onwards. God says, Then shall your light break forth like the dawn. Your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. You shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. And the Lord will guide you continually. He'll satisfy your desire in scorched places. He'll make your bones, your body strong. You'll be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach. You shall be called the restorer of streets to dwell in. In other words, when God's people seek his righteousness and justice, when they truly love the things that he loves, God's blessing is poured out on him. This blessing of his presence, his availability. We become like a spring of water that's full of life, full of vitality. The ruins, the brokenness, the hurts, in our lives are restored and rebuilt. Healing comes. And somehow, God's people will even have a part to play in rebuilding that, in bringing healing to what was ruined and corrupted. That's the promise that we've just read. And this is an amazing picture of what kingdom life looks like, of what the eternal kingdom of God looks like. But here's the thing. I think if you think long and hard and meditate on this, this idea of true fasting and all these blessings, I think all of us will reach this point, this conclusion that it's actually impossible. It's actually impossible. Because the call is for us to pour out your soul, your whole life, your whole being in the pursuit of justice. 
that all your spiritual practice would just be infused with love for the poor and the vulnerable. That's a high calling. That is a very high standard. And if you're not a Christian this morning, if you're seeking God, you might think and look at this justice stuff and, and think it's actually just a way for us to earn God's blessing, right? We do all these things and God will give us that. And that would be hard, right? How much effort and perfection would you need to actually be able to love the way God loves? A perfect God. And even if you're a Christian here this morning and you have just received the grace of God, you've received his love and you've been transformed, can you really say that you're also able to respond to God with as much love for the people around you? Do you love justice the way that your perfect holy God does? Can any of us be worthy of these blessings? The ancient Israelites obviously could not. And if you read the rest of Isaiah in the Old Testament, they failed. They fell short. And today, for all our technological advances, for all our longevity, for all our intelligence and education, I think we're in the same boat because we still struggle with the same self-centeredness and this inability to see the other as ourselves. And so we look to Jesus, don't we? We look to Jesus Christ, the one who came, God incarnate as a person. And this is our final point. Because Jesus was the only person in history who was able to love justice, love the vulnerable perfectly. He was the true Israel who did everything that the old Israelites needed to do, everything that we need to do to be good people, to be godly people. He was the one who did it, who fulfilled it. And he is the only one who deserves those blessings. You know, when I read about the Gospels in the New Testament, I'm just amazed at how Jesus loved the vulnerable, how he loved the poor. You know, first of all, as God coming to, hum to humanity, to, to world as, as a human being, I think that in and of itself is the greatest act of love for the poor. We who were far from him, he came to us. He didn't just say, pull your, pull your, your straps up, just, just do it, just get better, just improve just buy, buy better self-help books. He didn't do that. He came to us to experience humanity in all of its brokenness. And when he came, he didn't just talk about loving the poor. He actually did it. He actually showed deep love for people who were considered rubbish and outcasts in society. And he resurrected the story of, he, of resurrecting the widow's son, and that was so important because widows back in those days were, were so vulnerable in that patriarchal society. They needed a man in the family to take care of them, to pass on the rights. And so he, he raised the widow's son from death so that she would be taken care of. He publicly forgave that woman who was caught in sexual immorality and gave her honor. Jesus actually talked to women publicly, which in, again, in those patriarchal days was a big social no-no but he showed them honor, a people who were second class, who were subjugated, he showed them honor. And one of my favorite stories that I wanna just share with you this morning is how he cared for lepers. Now, people with leprosy in those days were not just suffering physically. They weren't just dying from an ailment, but they were actually socially dead. They were cast out because they were seen as spiritually 
and socially unclean. No one would touch them. No one would go near them. They were socially and literally physically rejected by the people around them. But in Luke chapter 5, we have this amazing story where Jesus comes across a leper and the leper calls out to him and asks to be cleaned. Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And he looks at him and says, I will. And miraculously, immediately, the leprosy leaves this man. Amazing. But the most astounding thing, I think, to me is that, and I think to us, is that not that he healed him miraculously because Jesus was God. He could have done it just by thinking about it or not even saying a word. What I love is that the Bible says that Jesus stretched out his hand and touched this leper before he healed him. A man who perhaps in years had not felt human contact from a quote-unquote normal person or a clean person. Jesus comes up to him and touches him. He gives him the compassion, the love, the dignity that he knew that he, this man deserved. And Jesus didn't care about the fact that in those days, he would have now been considered unclean. Loving this person, giving this person a welcome was more important than any of those things. Friends, this is who our God is. This is who Jesus is. And he didn't just come to be a nice example for us, for us to strive and try to just emulate, but Jesus came to represent us, to be our representative, right? So that he, if we just trust him, if we put our faith in him, the one who did everything perfectly, the things that we cannot do perfectly, if we just trust him and put our faith in him and if we just follow him, we can also receive all the blessings that we just read about. We can be that spring of water. We can be those waters that don't fail. We can be a people whose ancient ruins are rebuilt, whose hurts can be healed, a people who can receive new life. This call to love God, to love his justice, can be really daunting. You know, during this whole COVID pandemic, I feel like it's just been, for me, just this push to retreat, to focus on myself. You know, I had a pandemic baby. You know, she's two now. But we went through the whole thing of, of just, you know, trying to raise a kid in the middle of the pandemic of the fifth wave and all the stuff that came about it. So I understand. I really do personally understand how easy it is to focus on, on my family and focus on my job and whatever and putting, you know, food on the table and not worry about things that are happening outside the people who are suffering outside. I get it. Those are real needs. They are good needs. They are good things for us to focus on. But God is reminding us, church, this morning, this passage is telling us that justice simply, justice is not optional for followers of Jesus. And if we've received God's amazing love, how can we not love others in the same way? If we receive this care from the Lord, how can we not care for the people he cares about? This passage isn't asking you to eradicate poverty tomorrow. He's not asking you to go out and eliminate all social division overnight. God is simply asking you to love the vulnerable, just like your heavenly Father does, to just see them first, to ask questions, and not settle on just thinking about it, but to take a step of faith, just like your heavenly Father took a step out to love us. And because of Jesus, this call to do justice isn't about acquiring those blessings, actually. 
we already have everything we need in our Lord Jesus. All the promises, all the blessings. And now our call is simply to extend that to the people around us. So church, the right way, the big idea I want to leave you with this morning is that the right way to do spiritual disciplines is to respond to Jesus' love and to respond to that love by loving the vulnerable in our society. That's true fasting. That's true devotional. That's true Bible reading. That's true prayer. We must do both. And that's, that's the calling that God has for us this morning. Let me pray for us. Father, I know this is, uh, this is a challenging passage for us because it's hard. It's hard for people who, for myself, you know, as a middle class or upper middle class citizen of Hong Kong to, to just step out of my comfort zones, to actually slow down enough to see the unseen, to see the poor, to see the vulnerable, to see the ethnic minorities, to see people who are sleeping on the streets, the people who are hidden in cage homes, the elderly who are lonely, the helpers in our midst, Lord, and around the city, God. It's so easy for me to just walk fast and try and get to my destination and not see, Lord. So I pray, God, please, would your spirit help us to slow down? Would your, would your spirit open our eyes to see the hurt, the brokenness, the injustice. And Lord, may we not feel the burden this morning of needing to change the world. May we simply see where you are already working, God. May we receive your love once again this morning and your grace and just move out and respond and overflow in love. And God, for those of us this morning who just need to be reminded of your amazing grace, I pray that, that they would receive that of those of us here who just need to know that we are loved, that we don't need to perform. We don't need to, to, to do things to earn your love. I pray that right now, your spirit would just encourage them and remind them of this truth. So that when they go out, when they live out their faith, they're doing it out of complete security. For those of us who have been maybe just lax, have been just coasting, have just been resting on our laurels like I used to do, Lord, I pray that you would convict us You'd convict us to pursue true fasting, true spiritual disciplines. Lord, may we be a people of justice and righteousness. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.